church and disputes with the world. It should not be, but it is. And it's understandable that the world will have reasons to dispute with Christianity in general and with the church in particular because the belief system of the church is based upon a spiritual reality that is not understood by the non-spiritual rationality of the world. If you talk to a person of the world, you will not expect them to believe that God in Christ created the universe and that Jesus was raised from the dead and is now Lord over the universe and Lord over our lives. That's not something that you'd expect. If you try and convince them of that, you're actually putting up a barrier where they want to dispute that. The grace of God does that in a person's heart. We'll get to that. But Christians understand the material and non-spiritual rationality of the world. We live in it. We have all of our lives. We've grown up in it. And Christians also understand a transcendent reality that comes from the revelation of God to our spirit. So the church does not have to be engaged in disputes with the world because Christians can engage in goodwill discussion with both kinds of reality. They can have healthy debates with all people and agree to disagree with one another on all kinds of day-to-day -day issues that depend solely upon observation rather than revelation from God. So we don't get into arguments with people about a revelation of God if they haven't had one. If we have had a revelation from God, we can live from that and we can discuss the things that we understand, that they understand, and that doesn't have to be always in dispute. I mean, debates are good. They can be disputes. Uh, not what you might call disputes of antagonism. So a Christian can live effectively in the world of material rationalism and be successful and productive and operate with a motivation of God's love to bless everybody in that world that God loves, and that is everywhere, creating no basis for antagonism. A Christian can let that love be on display, knowing that it is only the grace of God that changes the base of reality for an individual from the natural realm into the spiritual realm. That's how you were saved. Revelation. I remember with myself. One day I was believing that the evolutionary system from some kind of cosmic soup had brought forth all living creatures. I get a revelation from God and all of a sudden I realise that God created this beautiful world. In fact, the first thing that you read in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, the faith chapter. Faith is the evidence of things not seen, the substance of things hoped for. 
The very next verse is, for by faith we know that the worlds were created by the word of God. That's the first thing. When you know that, you know that. So, arguments and disputes about two different realities are ineffective. We can live in the world and not be of it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Right? We've already got the spirit of the world that we've grown up with. But what we've received from God is the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. And he's speaking about Christians speaking with one another. These things we speak, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. That's our conversation. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually disowned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, and that word judge means what it means, judges. It means to discern, to examine, to determine if right or wrong. So he who is spiritual is able to do that, all things. Yet he himself is not correctly discerned by the world. So realise that. Don't get upset about it. We were all in that situation at one time. When Jesus said his kingdom was not of this world, and that was in John 18, in front of Pilate, he was making a distinction between the spirit of the world and the spirit of the kingdom of God. He was sending his disciples into the world to serve and to save and to heal the disordered soul of humanity. And when he saw his disciples wanting to judge the world for their sins, he rebuked them. James wanted to call down judgment of fire upon those that opposed the message of the kingdom of God. Burn them! <laughs> and Jesus rebuked him saying, you don't know what spirit you are of. In other words, you're doing the spirit of the world thing. And he explained to his disciples that the authority of the political state of worldly government operated from a power base that oppressed and lorded itself over people. That's in Matthew chapter 20. He said that those that have authority over them exercise lordship over them and oppress them. But it will not be so with you. Jesus taught them that this was not the way for them to exercise their spiritual authority, which was based on servanthood. Just as Jesus demonstrated his own spiritual authority when he emptied himself of divine privilege and became as a servant saviour to all the world. And he did not judge the world. John 12 verse 46. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. 
And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. What? For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in that day. In other words, there will be an accounting, but it will be in God's way and in God's time. Now, so remember the title of this word today, the church and disputes with the world. This should not be a dispute whereby the church is condemning the world for their sins. If we get into a dispute like that, Jesus says, please, what spirit are you of? Paul wrote that God does not authorise or empower Christians in their condemnation of the sins of the world. People can write publicly, here's some sins that you people in the world are committing and you're all going to hell. No, please. Paul wrote about God empowering the message of reconciliation through Jesus. And he says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. And Paul also wrote to the same church in Corinthians, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge, which are church discipline issues, which are based upon reconciliation again? And then he goes on to say, God judges those outside. Now, if we can get that clear, that we're here on God's mission, who having sent his only son into the world, in order to the world might be saved. That's our mission. Not that we are here to judge the world. So we're here to live a life of faith that is consciously aware that we are in Christ as a new creation. That's top of mind all of the time. That's what we're thinking. Him always with us and us always with him having inherited all the spiritual blessings of the Father. We are there as sons and daughters, along with his Son, inheriting the spiritual blessings of his Father. Now, that's the go-to place to find in your mind. This is called putting off the old man being renewed in the spirit of your mind and putting on the new, plunging into the new. It is a go-to place in the mind that you practice and practice and practice because there you are safe. There you know who you are. There you know where you are. And there you are not coming from reactions to people of the world. You're there saying, I'm coming from where God's heart is for the world. That takes patience and practice. The body helps you, by the way. There are mechanisms in our physiological system that when you actually focus and target upon a certain kind of self that is your future, 
your future hope, when you find that you can arrive at a place which leaves you, you above the anger tantrums or the aggression or the fear or the running away, there's a place to go, find God and come from that place. Then we were equipped to have our conversation with the world from God's place. We can live this life of spiritual blessing and share the good news of the grace of God with people and prepare their hearts to receive Jesus as Saviour. That's what we do. When a person thinks you're judging them, they're not going to listen. You people, you church people, you're judging us. Got no right to judge us. When they listen to, and when the love of God and the forgiveness, the mercy of God is shared from a right heart with faith, the grace of God can work. The Apostle Peter encourages us to always be ready for this. In your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. 1 Peter 3.15 Now, at one end of today's global, worldly population, about 8 or 9 billion people, there are multitudes of worldly people of goodwill, made in the image of God, that have little or no faith in God and are simply living out of a good conscience as best they can. That's at one end. Billions of them. They're depending upon their skills and experience and integrity to live a good life and be happy. At the other end of the worldly population, there are wrong-hearted people, also made in the image of God, mind you. But at that other end, with the wrong-hearted people who behave in a self-serving and ungodly way that is harmful to themselves and all those around them. God sees the hearts and he will deal differently with each individual as he decides. We are the bridge. There's also another aspect of this global population of people in the world. That's the political state of worldly government that operates from a power base that can be corrupted and oppressed and lord itself over people, asserting itself for its own ideological ends. It creates institutions and deceptive power hierarchies to preserve and consolidate its power and wealth. Two of the greatest tyrants in the world today have just consolidated their power base for themselves in one person, in China and in Russia. And that's the aim of tyranny. But a political power base will seek to assert its own power base. Whatever political party it is, it will do everything to get that locked in. Tell lies, do whatever. Make promises. And Jesus told his disciples not to build his church into a political power base. 
to contest with political worldly power over the state. When Jesus was sentenced by Pilate, who embodied the political state of Rome in that moment, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. And that's what they wanted to do. That I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. John 18, verse 36. Judas had meanwhile betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver because he realised that Jesus was not a political activist. And he got bitterly disappointed. He wanted Jesus to be in a contest for political power and he was disappointed in Jesus. And the closest thing to power for Judas was the money. Because that's part of the political power base. So what does this mean for Christians? It does not mean that Christians should not get involved in politics. <laughs> You're free to do anything in this world that is of good. We're talking about this corruption of the, of the state. That is of a wrong spirit. But Christians can get involved in politics as citizens of the state. We all vote, don't we? We all have opinions? Right. Well, we have an influence in that as citizens. That's just a normal thing, depending on what the political system is, but we have in the Western democracy a voice as citizens, not as the church. And that's simply being a responsible citizen. But responsible citizens who are Christians do not speak for the church. They're not authorised to speak for the church. Journalists, whoever they might be, that write beautiful things about God can be very convincing and I think a stabilising element of our society and, and speak things that are worthwhile saying. But they're not speaking for the church. They've been given a platform to speak as citizens. And it's a good idea if they can have leadership influence. If a Christian is a citizen in that way, it may be a gift and calling. That also is being a responsible citizen. But they have no mandate to judge unbelievers for their sins. Christian journalists don't have a mandate to tell the world how sinful they are. They just don't. If as a parent and as a citizen in a democratic country, I am offended at a school that my child attends in allowing transgender males to occupy female bathrooms, it's my business as a citizen to oppose this politically and take whatever action I can to see that kind of practice is changed. That is my business as a citizen in, <laughs> in my family. So that's just me, if I did that as a citizen. But if I, as Pastor Paul, we did and wanted to lecture everybody about the sinfulness of what they were doing, I would not get God's backing on that. God said, oh my goodness, here he goes, judging the world again, thinks he's spiritual higher and mightier than they, can't authorise that. As a citizen, doing a good job there, standing up. Somebody's got to stand up. 
We're seeing that happening in these days. People stand up. They're not out there protesting necessarily with placards. It's just one person can make a choice for God and belong to a church and then the world comes down on him and says, well, you can't be a leader in this uh, football club or whatever. Wow, isn't that God shining a light on something? That's an embarrassment, not for the church, but for the common sense that should be being understood by rational people. We have, as citizens, freedom of speech, to what degree, it's difficult to judge sometimes, and we can make a protest, and we have the right to vote, but it is not Christian political activism in God's name against the state. God is not endorsing that. You can't do it in God's name against the state. You can do it as a citizen because of justice and what is upright in a community with a care for the people that are in your care. Now, there have always been times when Christians have been persecuted for their beliefs, and this will never change. And we'll probably see more of it. And no secular laws, doesn't matter how many laws they pass to protect Christians, no secular laws will ever effectively change this attitude of the world against Christians who give obedience to God first rather than man because of being forced to do something against their conscience before God. You stand up. And it could happen to anybody next week. It happens to people when they least expect it. It comes out of the blue and you think, where did that come from? The light's shining on that person. When Peter and the apostles were forbidden to preach the gospel by the leaders of the nation of Israel, he said to them, we must obey God rather than men. And consequently, they were put in prison. But an angel released them. He said, God's there, you know. He's not on holidays from this. He is in the midst of it. And Peter later writes to the church and advises them on how to respond to persecution. 1 Peter 3, 15. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you're blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and graciousness. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as an evildoer, those who revile your good conduct in Christ will be ashamed. The world looks on at certain kinds of injustice which can happen to one person, which happened recently here with a man who stood up for what he believed in in God and he was persecuted for it, lost his job, seemed to lose his reputation. But the, all of a sudden the shockwave went through the community of people of goodwill who may not believe in God and they thought, hang on, this, this is shameful. That's that scripture. God's the judge, and he'll bring justice his way and in his time, and he'll organise the times. They may be ashamed. It is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer 
for doing good than for doing evil. So if Christians lived the good news of the love and forgiveness of God and preached that, they've got to live it first. <laughs> it's easy to hand a tract out. Read this, you sinner. <laughs> if Christians live it and preach that, the Holy Spirit will bear witness to that and God will supernaturally confirm it. Mark 16, as Jesus was going up into heaven, it says, after the Lord had spoken to his disciples, he was received up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God and the disciples went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs and wonders. You see, it's there. Church leaders must ask God for wisdom in these matters and teach their people to follow the ways and the words of Jesus. So first of all, the church somehow has to come into some scrutiny here. And that's fine. God is sorting that out. We are living in times when God is allowing the works of darkness to be seen for what they are. And the more the darkness is revealed, the more God's light will be upon his people. The church does not need political power. It needs power from heaven. And one is gained at the expense of the other. The more the church goes for political power, the less they get power from heaven. And they wonder, why isn't it working? We're claiming stuff. We make that choice. What is the power that we want to see in this earth? And God chooses ordinary Christians to often shine as lights in this way. Not always Christians of prominence or wealth or political power. A person simply needs to stand for God in their particular situation of challenge. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians. Chapter 1, he says, And look at your brothers and sisters who were chosen, that not many were wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. The shame thing kicks in when God's people do their part, humbly before God who loves the world. The Spirit of God's church has compassion on the suffering of humanity, acting to bless and comfort people in their pain and suffering, to be loving and forgiving and motivated to bring people closer to God so that their souls will be healed and saved. Places in a mess out there. The Christian heart and mind and will of God's church of love and mercy has created institutions based on these beautiful values for centuries. Institutions that have served the world through education and nurture and care, homes for the poor and the sick, hospitals, because of the suffering humanity. It's all been done. There's something for the church to do. To bless and heal and save and feed. And comfort, not argue. Not tell them to get off the bus, they're a sinner. 
This heart of God's mercy towards the world is the overflow. You can't try and dredge it up yourself. Well, you can. Maybe there are people who can do that. And God bless them, not violent. But this heart of God's mercy towards the world is the overflow of the justice and mercy of God that has been poured upon us first. We need to know that first. That we're, for the, there, but for the grace of God, go I, Lord, thank you for your mercy. That has been poured upon us through the new covenant. And we've gratefully received it. And we know that when we show mercy, we are shown more mercy. See, there are principles here that are just cause and effect. It's just principle. They're called axioms. You do that, this will happen. Because this is God. This is God's economy. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. It is the activity of God's grace upon the human heart that brings the individual spirit into life out of death. And you can pray for life for people. The Bible says if you pray for life for one who is sinning, God will grant that person life. I just, it just, that scripture just hit me last night. It's not in the notes here, but I'm thinking, that's a good prayer. Pick a few people and pray for life. Ephesians chapter 2, 4. I'll end with this. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Thank you, Lord, for letting us live in this world, for placing us in this world at this time for a reason and a purpose. We've been chosen. We thank you that it will be grace upon us that will allow us to release grace upon those that you love, your humanity, in Jesus' name. Amen.